Welcome into the Maroon Mike Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. And I'm your other co-host, Daniel Faulkner. And we have yet another big show. A lot to talk about. It's just a busy time of the year. And especially because we're only doing one show a week. We have to recap basically a week's worth of news every single time we get on here. So we're not going to dilly-dally around. We're going to get into the stuff. But first, we do have a little bit of uh, shout-out podcast business, I guess, kind of the idea. Shout-out to the full cast uh, for stealing that from them. We have a bowl pick that is out. We did a bowl pick last year through ESPN, the Capital One Bowl Mania. Uh, it is we, – we, we did a Maroon Mike one last year. That group still exists. When I went to fire it up, which I did not do until, like, Tuesday late at night or something like that because uh, I did not plan this out well at all. I should have done this way earlier um, so we could you know push it more. I just basically filed, fired up the one from last year, made sure to see if it still worked. Uh, the password for that is capital M. Uh, well, it's Maroon Mike, all one word. Both M's are capitalized. That's the password to join. Um, the link is on our Twitter page. We will push it again uh with this episode and we will try to push it basically as you're listening to this, you have a day um, to get your picks put in before bowl season. As it stands right now, there are three of us who have, uh, who, who have entered um, and two of them are, <laughs> two of them are you know doing this podcast right now. Uh, neither Colton or Allinger in there. So we did not plan this well, um, but we would like for you guys to participate just to see who can be the most correct about one of the most unpredictable things in football, which is bowl games, especially now in this portal era. Bowl games are a total crapshoot. So the fact that we're not only making you pick the games, but then rank the games based on your level of confidence in one team winning or the other, that just makes it, again, a, a complete and total mess to see who will actually come out as victorious in this thing. But put an entry in there. Um, we talked about maybe if we, if we get enough people, we're not going to do it if there's only like one of you in there. Uh, but like I said, whoever the highest is, it's not a uh, not one of us. Maybe you get to hop on the pod and give your thoughts on Mississippi State um, to broadcast your opinions to, you know, 150 people because uh, that's how big time this show is. Uh, but, yeah, bowl pick them. The link will be on our Twitter page. We will all retweet it. And, again, password is one word, Maroon Mike. Both of the M's are capitalized. All right. Getting into Mississippi State actual news, we'll start on with uh, basketball. Men's basketball, they had a terrible week two weeks ago. Well, the sky was falling. They have since bounced back in – they bounced back in a big way, big way, and then they kind of made things iffy uh, yesterday evening as we record. But we'll start with the, the positive, obliterate Tulane. Uh, State wins this game by a final score of, what was it, 106 to 76. A 30-point win. It was not that close. MSU led this game 62 to 34 at the half. And there was a point State was up by like 40 in this game. It was like literally like 80 to 40 at at one point. And then Tulane, you know, State basically emptied the bench pretty early. Tulane started – you know, to get I said I was about to say get back into it. That is that's not at all the case. They they started to knock down a few more shots um to you know make it look not as bad. But again, state just obliterates them. Shoot shooting over 58% from the field, 46% from the behind the arc. Um Josh Hubbard, another huge day for him. He gets 22 points in 21 minutes. All of his scoring came in the first half. And it like you didn't need him to do anything in the second half. Didn't matter. 
14 points uh, for Jimmy Bell. Cam Matthews gives you 14. DJ Jeffries and Shaquille Moore, both with 11. Uh, Kashawn Murphy uh, gives you seven to kind of show a little bit of what, what he can do, a guy that's obviously you've needed back, and you're, you're getting him back into things now from injury. State dominates a two-lane team that had, again, been playing pretty good basketball and was one of the better offensive teams in the country. Now, their defense was pretty awful. And you see Mississippi State take advantage of it. But to hold this two-lane team, um, you know, I say hold them like 34 first-half points is, is perfectly respectable. And then, you know, 42 in the second half, they start scoring more. But at the same time, like that's still below their – I believe that was below their average for the year. And you really held them in check. They only shot uh, in the first half I, – I was about to, you know, they shot 45% in the first half. That was perfectly fine. But, again, this is a two-lane team that it, it plays really – has been playing really well. State handles their business in this game. Yeah, it was just it was a work of art um, that that the way they were doing it. I I use that phrase accordingly. I was right about to head to the art museum, but I had to admire the beautiful work that was being done on my television. Uh, it was fantastic. I mean, it it really did kind of settle everybody down because there was good reason to be very much concerned with the week prior. And, and we had even talked about here on this show, we were like, oh, are we going to do good? We don't know. I mean, yeah, the, it, it was a huge bump up of, uh, of of just confidence, shooting the ball well. Now, once again, I mean, once he pulls the starters, it's kind of, uh, uh, right? The, the depth isn't, isn't super stellar on the team right now. And, and that's okay. I mean, it's, you always – we're not going to have a team that's just perfectly flawless. Otherwise we'd be on our way to do a perfect season, win the national championship, which would be nice. But yeah, I think, I think you, you got a good boost of confidence. I mean, like I said, blowing out a really good team. That's always fun. Uh, so yeah, I, I liked what I saw and, and, you know, Hey, uh, we had, we had another one. What was it? Uh, Wednesday, right. Against Murray State, I think we all had a few flashbacks during the uh, the Murray State game, didn't we? Right, you you get a good lead, then you see the lead start to get smaller and smaller, and we're thinking, oh no, not again. And uh, yeah, the dogs able to pull it out in the end. Woo wee! That was uh, wasn't pretty. Frustrating was it? game. Um... <laughs> it wasn't pretty. <laughs> Mississippi State gets the win 85 to 81. The scoring overall keeps up. State shot as well as you will ever see a team shoot in the first half. There was a point in that game, they were at like 94%. I think they were like 14 of 15 from the field, something like that. They put up 53 points in the second half. Not second half, first half. And you go through like the first half numbers for MSU. They end up 18 of 23, 78%. They were six of 10 from uh, behind the arc, had 11, uh, 15 free throws in the first half. And they, they did actually did a lot of their damage from the free throw line early on. Um, and, and, you know, we were knocking them down. They were 73% um, from the free throw line in the first half. They were just shooting the ball really, really, really well. Um, and it allowed them to build out such a significant lead. Now, well, I say significant lead. They built out a pretty big lead, but the thing was, Murray State was scoring too. The Racers had 41 first-half points in this game. They also, 48% shooting, 
50% from deep. They were 7 of 14 from three in the first half. Now, only not only 6 of 9 from the free throw line. Nice. But, like, they, they were still scoring the ball pretty well themselves. Defensively, they were a mess, and MSU just couldn't miss a shot. But Murray State was shooting as well, and that was giving me – I was a little worried watching that because I was like, okay, like, Murray – and we didn't do a preview of Murray State. Traditionally, that's a program that has been very good offensively. They are good offensively again this year. They're, they've had every loss they've taken has been very close down to the wire. And it's really like they've, for the most part, scored in those games. But for a team at MSU that's supposed to be so great defensively, that was kind of concerning how many open looks from deep that they had. They were just knocking down. And I had a thought going into halftime. And I specifically chose, I will not tweet this because I do not want to be the one who puts this out there in the universe as a jinx. But I was, I thought this game is going to be the ultimate test of, well, they can't keep shooting that well for that long. Like, people always say that. And every basketball game where you have a team in the first half that's shooting lights out, everybody says, well, they're going to cool off in the second half. So even though – now, State, obviously, you're talking about 78% or whatever it was from the field uh, in the first half. You're going to cool off from that, obviously. But, you know, you're hoping you cool off to just a normal percentage, you know, in, in like the 45% range. State cooled off to 39. It literally cut in half. It cut in half, 18 of 23 to 9 of 23. Yeah, it took the same number of shots and made half as many. Meanwhile, Murray State uh, shot better in the second half. They shot nearly 54%. They were 5 of 9 from deep once again. They got 7 of their 8 on the free throw opportunities in the second half. And now I say all this, like State had built out a pretty like you lead by 12 at halftime. State built out a lead to I think about 18 points in this game in, in the second half with I don't know 15 14 minutes to go. And I remember I, like I was watching I watched closely in the first half and the second half I kind of just had it on in the background because I was like I, I didn't think the game was in hand certainly but I also didn't think this was going to be a game that was going to get you know iffy. And I just kind of glance up, and Murray State starts going on a run. And they're on this run. Like, State had a, a, a uh, State had a group in that I just really don't think. Like, Chris Jantz has played around with some rotations this year that I just aren't, aren't all that great. Like, you had Josh Hubbard out there, which obviously he's been fantastic this year. Sean Jones has played decently well. He was on the court. I think Guy Choll was in, and he's been kind of a mixed bag with what you've seen from him so far. I don't remember the other pieces out there. Um, maybe Jaquan Scott was on the court. But you, you had a, a group out there who was just like a lot of inconsistent play. You don't really have the defense, and your scoring isn't – like Hubbard obviously is the scorer, but Hubbard also cooled off in the second half. Like he started missing shots. Like State was one of ten from three in the second half. Like – First half, six of 10, second half, one of 10. And, you know, that's how it ends up going for them. And that was the thing. They kept taking these threes, kept jacking them up, and they they stopped, started missing them. And I'm watching that. I was like, okay, Jans has got to, like, get get back to the starting rotation here because otherwise you're not going to – like, this is is turning poor very quickly. And I felt like he did it too late because by the time he did it, it was like a three-point game again. And Murray State almost immediately gets back to, like, a tie game. And then it was a battle the rest of the way to the point like Murray State with 30 seconds to go in the game had an 81 to 80 lead. Now, Jans takes a timeout and calls a, a beautiful inbounds play where you get uh, 
you know, Deshaun Davis is able to get an alley-oop to Cam Matthews. That ends up being the winning goal for State. Um, and, you know, they, they get a good defensive stand on on uh, on the final possession to end up winning this. And you end up having a couple free throws at the end, 85-81, your final. But, I mean, it, it was – the game was – I mean, this was anything but a surefire victory for Mississippi State. When, and it kind of felt like – some of the decisions you played with rotations hurt you there. Now I totally get the justification is early in the season. We're trying to play as many guys as we can to figure out what rotations we can throw out there as well as just getting guys minutes. Um, But you put yourself in a spot like state easily could have lost this game. And like, I, I know, again, I know the argument you will all, I think go into a different sport. You can always compare the 2021 Mississippi state baseball team that wins a national championship. What people always talk about with that team is, they had great pitching, but they also did not burn that pitching in the regular season. They were willing to go to the bullpen early on. Um, they were not going to throw Landon Sims multiple times on one weekend. And at times, you had some games throughout the regular season where you kind of took some some losses that maybe you didn't have to because you chose to pull pitching when you did. But it didn't matter because State ultimately, like, we're going to do enough that we get a national seed. We're going to do enough that we can host the rest of the way through. And when you get into the postseason, they, you know, ramp it up. And all of a sudden, guys like Will Bednar and Landon Sims are able to go, uh, you know, Bednar is able to go deeper in starts. Sims is able to, you know, come like four innings of relief. And, I mean, how many innings did he pitch in the national championship? Bednar went six. Sims well, went both three. of them. Well, in the championship game, they, they took the the whole nine. Um, That was it. That, that, that was the only That's game that they pitched in because – uh yeah, McLeod he had he had lost his touch, and so we just threw our extra guys in game one. Game two was all uh Harding and Preston Johnson, right? And that was another guy like Preston Johnson, right? You know, you, right, yeah. You, you, you able he could go longer, and it's like, look, we had the giant lead, just ride the hot hand. Yeah, so like I I totally get the point of like this will help. This is probably going to benefit Mississippi State down the line. Going back to basketball here, that you were able to get a lot of minutes for guys. But if you lose games, like a loss like this again would have killed you. You're already kind of killed to an extent with the losses that you take. Like that Georgia Tech loss, even though they beat Duke, is not trending positively. The Southern loss is never going to trend well. This would have been another rough. One. You know, Murray State's a respectable mid-major, but it's they're they're not the team that they were a couple of years ago under Matt McMahon. So. Look, obviously all that matters is you get the win, but it is a little bit concerning that State's had these games this year. Like, they just haven't really been able to put teams away, and that's a little frustrating. Very very much so, and and it makes you wonder how they're going to fare come SEC play. Um, I mean, you only have three more opportunities really to figure it out before you get to conference play, and even Rutgers, I mean, that's not going to be a – a walk in the park. You hope that uh, North, North Texas, Texas this weekend ain't going to be a walk in the park. I'll tell you that now. So you only have one more walk in the park in uh, Bethune Cookman, and so okay. I'm not to, not to interrupt you again. Can we say <laughs> that's a walk in the park after losing to Southern? Should be. <laughs> okay. If it's if it if it's not a walk in the park, uh, it is panic time in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, I, I'll I'll go ahead and say it. Yeah, I mean, well then, yeah, you got North Texas and and Rutgers, right? And both those are away from the hump. So I mean, uh, even though North Texas technically two below, you know, it's still away from home. And then you're going to be in in New Jersey, right? 
uh, against Rutgers. It's 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 a little bit concerning, right? You thought, you know, right after Tulane, like, oh yeah, we're back. Who cares? Forget that week happened. Now you still got a little bit of concern now. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, is one of those things. I mean, you trust the coaches to be able to to you know fix out some of the problems that we've got, especially just yeah, defense is kind of it's kind of been of concern. But I, don't know, I think uh, I think I trust the dentist to uh, to to take care of business here. Not going to use Novocaine, is he? You mentioned the defense. That's kind of the thing that's a little concerning to me. I felt like we've had a few games this year where at times they're just out of position. And you're leaving these open looks for three, and so far your opponents are knocking them down. Um, and, again, like basketball is not a sport where I, I can tell you what adjustments need to be made. Like that, I, I can just tell you what I'm watching. I don't know what the fix is, but, like, that's something that has to be addressed. Now, obviously, the biggest news with basketball – is it has been announced Toby Smith is cleared to play, and I believe it's with contact, correct? Yeah, he's practicing with contact, so yeah, we're uh, we're that much closer. You, you obviously you have to get Tolu back. I mean that, that that's that's not like any you know breaking analysis right there. Like we we've known that from the beginning of the year, but I think especially you, you can get him back on the court. That obviously takes some pressure off Jimmy Bell. Takes pressure on like I didn't think Sean Murphy had like he had a good game against Tulane. He I didn't think he played particularly well last night. Guy Chole, he's had a couple of decent games, but I mean you see that he's a freshman who's still very raw and it's going to take a lot of going to take some time to develop. You, you need to Tolu back, uh, you know, as soon as you can possibly get him. Um, you know, just looking at the resume for as it stands right now for Mississippi State, they are 39th in the net, uh, 36th in Ken Palm. Uh, did drop about uh eight or nine spots after last night. Some of that would be playing a close game, but it's mostly that you're playing an opponent who was 192 in the net rankings in Murray State. Um, uh, North Texas, I mean, just before that, Washington State is still your best win. They're 27 in the net. Wazoo is weird in that they're eight and one on the season, and it's like all eight of their wins are quad three and quad four teams. So I have no idea why. Let me double check this. I think I saw that looking on the NCAA website. Make sure I'm not just saying crazy stuff here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Their strength of schedule is. Okay, what? Their net strength of schedule is 40. This may, The net does not make sense. They have an average no, net not. win of. What was that? I was gonna say no, it does not. Oh, oh. 43rd according like this is on bracketologist.com, which like lays all this stuff out for you. Like to basically you could get an entire resume easily looked at for a team. Their average net win is 222. Their average opponent net is 201. So on average, you're paying it to playing a team that's in the two hundreds of the net, and somehow their net strength of schedule is forty-three. MSU must be doing a lot of work there. Is that <laughs> is that current? Strength of net or overall? It should be. Hmm. I'll say maybe they just the Pac-12 is really good at basketball. They haven't played a Pac-12 team though. Well, I was, I'm saying if it's, it encapsulates the whole schedule, like their future games too. But I don't know. Maybe who knows? Well, okay, that's, that's yeah, weird. that might. 
I'm trying to now. Now I'm wondering if that does factor in future games. Their best win is over Portland State, who's 90th in the net. But again, they have not been. It doesn't. Okay, regardless of the reason, they're 27 in the net somehow, some way. Good for Mississippi State. That's a quadrant one win. I would not anticipate they stay there, but for whatever reason, the net likes them, and that's a quad one win. Northwestern is a quad two, and they fell hard to 84th. They were kind of hovering in, like, fringe quad one territory. They lost to Chicago State, I think, the other night. Um, so th- th- they're down to 84. Uh, Tulane is actually a decent win at 119. But, like, right now, like, your only quad one and quad two games, if you're state, have been Washington State and Northwestern. Uh, luckily, you've won both of those. North Texas is a quad three opportunity. Rutgers. This sucks. You are playing in New Jersey, but it's a neutral site game because it's at the Prudential Center instead of playing at, at uh, the Rack, which is what I think what they call their home gym. Um, they're 76 in the net. So even if it was at Rutgers, it would count as a quad two. But as, instead, like quad one is top 75. So you'd have a Rutgers team that would like be right there on the edge. Instead, this game, like Rutgers would have to get into the top 50 for it to be a quad one opportunity. Um, still, I mean, it's a quality opponent of the non-conference, but North Texas, we'll get into that real quick, talking about them. Like, they're a pretty good team for what it's worth. Okay, let let me correct myself here. Record-wise, it's not great for the Mean Green overall. Uh, They sit at – they are four and – four and four in the season, or five five and four technically counting non-D1 – yeah, non-D1 opponents. Um. But, again, they're 119 in the net. The thing with them, year one of a new coach, uh, their coach, Brent McCaslin, left for Texas Tech. They promoted from within because McCaslin done really well there. This is one of the best defensive teams in the country. They lead the country in scoring defense, allowing under 56 points per game. So if we take Mississippi State's reputation as a defensive team and take North Texas in, it's going to be an ugly game. Now, uh, they they hold teams shooting to – sorry, I just – I'm trying to full round scroll, screw, scrolling. I can't talk. 39.8% shoot, uh, shooting defensively. That's 16th in the country. Now, they only shoot under 44%, which is 232. So, like, this, they're not a good offensive team. They have three players in double figures, a couple guards, and then one of their wings. But again, this is a team that plays really good defense. So, if you're state, offense has been such a mixed bag for you this year. They, like, they have not allowed more than 69 points um, this year. Nice. Um, <laughs> so could be a, it's going to be a grinded out game, but it's an opponent like state like needs to get, it would be a decent win on the resume, but it would not be great for you if you lost it. Um, that's the extent we'll talk about with men's basketball after they play North Texas, they have like a week off and before they play Rutgers. So we'll obviously be able to uh, talk about things again with them going forward for the women's team. Let me see. What's the score right now? Uh, at halftime, they lead Jackson State by 11, 43, 44 to 33. So, sort of handling business. Um, we'll, you know, we'll update it as we go here. Really, for the women's team, there's not much to talk about. It, things are good for you when you get your best players back on the team. Um, they obviously took the back-to-back losses to Miami and Chattanooga, have you know, having players out, and then they dominate Kennesaw State and like it. it falls back on getting Jessica Carter, getting Aaron Barnum. Uh, Jessica Carter goes for 31 points and 13 rebounds in her first game back. 
yeah, that that'll work. And then I mean, Aaron Barnum gives you eleven as well. You don't need like there's no point in really breaking this down. Like that was the issue for State. They had the injuries. We'll see if they can handle the business tonight against uh, Jackson Jackson State. But I think we're we're feeling okay with women's basketball. Clearly, it was it was a health thing. Yeah, and, and tonight even at halftime, Aaron Barnum has 10 points, Ja'Kayla Jordan at 15. So your top players are, are performing at the level you expect them to be. The only problem this poses, I mean, now you remember, like we were talking about a few weeks ago, like this is a team that can be a top four in the SEC, go in as like maybe a five or a six seed in the NCAA tourney. You, you have to stay healthy to get that resume to make it the tournament in that kind of fashion right because if 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 one of your plays is out if you're losing Jaquela, if you're losing jessica if you're losing uh aaron like it it uh-oh not not as good it, it's not gonna be as good and uh the team the starters that you have out there are just they, they click they click well they score very well they're very efficient at it um this is a very good team and and so they're they're proving that once again um, but that does you ha- you have to stay healthy that that's the one thing you have to stay healthy to continue the dominant stretch that you can go on now that you have everybody back uh and again we'll, we'll hopefully they are able to continue taking care of business tonight because then things become a very different discussion if they end up losing this game to jackson state uh they will take on memphis on sunday uh the tigers are four and six on the season hasn't been great for them now they did go to overtime at tennessee which I know Tennessee's obviously an opponent they're going to get up for, but, I mean, that's a good balls team that they took to overtime. But, I mean, look, they're 151 in the net. MSU, by the way, is 33 in the net for, for women's basketball. So still in a good spot in, in terms of your resume to this point. And, and this is an opponent road game, but still, State, you hope as long as they handle the business tonight, should be able to handle the business against the Memphis Tigers this weekend. Shifting things over to football, we got a lot to talk about here as well. Uh, we had a couple more coaching hires that have been made since we last met. Uh, both the state's coaches in the secondary have been announced. Matt Barnes, who was the, speaking of Memphis, was their defensive coordinator this past season. He is coming on as the co-DC and safeties coach. Uh, and then Corey Bell comes in to be the cornerbacks coach. This is a guy who uh, was last year at FAU as their uh, pass defense coordinator, I believe was his title. Um, but basically has worked with DBs pretty much his entire career has been in the state of Florida for his entire career. If, if you're a school in Florida, Corey Bell has worked for you and he did work with a, well, I don't know if he worked at Florida state, but he worked with basically everybody else. Um, he worked with Jeff Levy at UCF. Um, so obviously one of the big things with him, you would expect would be your ties to recruiting in the state of Florida. These were names we, we heard about both of them have, you know, have Bell has t- been tied to some pretty good corners in the past to come out of the state of Florida. Barnes, did have time working at Ohio State, so he's you know he's been at that level. The thing that kind of worries me is we're talking about DB coaches, where last year these are the secondaries that ranked 109th and 114th in the country, and MSU breaking in kind of a brand new secondary next year does worry me a little bit. But you know we'll we'll, we'll see how that works out. I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty confident. I actually, I, I, my prediction is that whoever the top like secondary guys in the portal are, we're actually going to just get them because we can. And then, you know, it won't even matter. It's a talented. I, 
kidding, I guess. Obviously, the the staff is is somewhat new. I mean, Matt Barnes, right? He was a defensive coordinator or, or has been at, at Memphis. So you have some kind of excitement at that, right? That he's taken a, a safety's job here in, in Co DC here at state. But yeah, it, that's just telling you what you need to know. The staff is it's it's gonna continue the thing we've been saying. It's like we're just gonna find out. Uh and and it's not we're not gonna get false hope this year, right? We're we're just gonna think, all right, well, we could be good, we could not. You know, our staff, they could be fantastic, they could suck, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll put up so many points and give so much they might have to ship us off to the Big Twelve. Who knows? Uh we'll we'll have to wait and see, but the 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 way things have gone so far, that's kind of what it looks like. We could just put up points and, and give up just as many. Yeah, um, honestly, with David Turner, you know, you hope that you get some big time defensive linemen, and that can kind of correct it. I, I, the biggest worry I have right now is like, what is the defensive side of the ball going to look like for MSU? Now, frankly, it was probably going to be rough next year, regardless because of how many guys you're losing on that side of the ball. But the defense is the side where I do have some questions about, you know, who, this, the staff being put together. It just, it, it, that's where it kind of looks like you don't, you're, you're taking some bigger risk, right? But obviously the expectation isn't really defense here. The expectation with Jeff Levy is we score a bunch of points. Uh, and I think most of us would feel pretty confident in that happening. Um, I mean, look, we'll see how it works out. I, at the very least, like I, I've, I've said this several times before, defense tends to be about rec- talent and recruiting more than scheme. Like more than I, – I more, much more than offense. If you can get the talent, you can typically be successful when it comes to defense. Um, you've got a big-time recruiter in David Turner for defensive line. Coleman Hutzler's defensive coordinator is recognized as a big-time recruiter. You know, I don't know much about the track records of Barnes and Bell, but I would say Barnes, I mean, he's a guy who worked at Ohio State. I would imagine he probably has some recruiting jobs. Corey Bell being all around the state of Florida, working at Florida, working at Miami. I'd imagine he's got some good ties down there. And you talk about South Florida athletes, specifically in the secondary. Like, I would hope State can pluck some of those guys. So, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you're talking about talent, right? And and that's what matters most when it comes to defense. Remember, folks. The Mississippi State defense got Bob Shoup to be recognized as the top assistant coach in America in 2018. That wasn't so much Shoup. That was just the pure talent that was on that defense. Didn't he win the Broyles Award? I don't I know if he, he won, won the Broyles. He was, he was a finalist for the award. And, I don't think Shoup so... was a bad defensive He was good at Penn State as well. He was bad at Tennessee, and the, the Tennessee had talent, but – it was Butch Jones. So, like, I, I think Shoup was a pretty good defensive coach. Um, but, no, like, talent it, – and it, it's true on the offensive side of the ball, too, but more so on defense. It You just – it's rare you're going to get a defense that's good if you don't have big-time players. Now, that's obviously a question for MSU because defensive recruiting has taken a hit in the last few years. And right now, you don't have a ton of those guys committed on that side of the ball. So – you know, we'll see if recruiting is able to pick up there. But, I mean, I think that's going to be the thing. If you talk about Jeff Levy and your potential to maximize what Mississippi State is, you're going to have to get something on defense more than what is the stereotype for a coach like Levy. 
Uh, so we'll see how that works out with the staff. I have no idea what we're doing on special teams. Um, both Barnes and Hutzler have been special teams coordinators in the past. Maybe that's something that they just sort of put to the side, but I'm pretty sure we still have an assistant position open. So I, I could be, I think I'm not doing the counting right now. So maybe they have somebody else who comes in uh, to coach special teams. Looking over at the transfer portal, uh, State has had three commitments out of the portal so far, all three at positions of need. We'll start with the biggest one. Quarterback Blake Shapin comes in from Baylor. And a guy that State fans reacted pretty poorly to, if we're being honest. Um, we're not super excited over him coming in. Uh, I think just a lot of it is, A, a lot of people didn't really recognize him, or at least the, their sights were not set on him. You had sights set on some bigger names, which – I want to talk about that in just a sec. Um, but it also, you look, the numbers don't blow you away, and Baylor offensively has not been great. I do think he's a talented quarterback, though. And I think people have to realize that sometimes the stats don't tell the whole story. I think he's a kid who's got some good physical tools. I think he's a good passer, um, You know, good arm, can be accurate down the field. I think he can be accurate in the intermediate game as well. He's got some mobility to him, which in this offense, you don't need it. Like Dylan Gabriel was a plus runner, but Oklahoma kind of needed him to be that guy. I don't think you always have to have that with this offense. I think it's more a quarterback who can be a threat with his legs is a bigger deal. Um, and I think you can get that out of shape. And, and just in general, a lot of this offense is scheming stuff wide open for the quarterbacks as it is. So in terms of a guy who's just been a, a – a ridiculous, like perfect passer at all times. I don't know if you, you necessarily need that. I think as long as it can be accurate and get the ball out quickly, it, you, you can and, you know be accurate down the field as well. I think you're in a pretty good shape. Now, look, I will also acknowledge that I am not a quarterback evaluator, and you know I, I've seen some opinions from guys who I know cover the Big Twelve very closely and also have a good understanding of the offense MSU is running that have questioned the fit. I, you know, I've seen them suggest they think Shapin might actually be a fit in some better offenses. So I'm not saying for sure he's going to come in and light it up for State. But I will say that I don't think he's nearly as bad as State fans were freaking out about. And I think this is a – I bearing in mind that, again, we, we have no idea how he will fit into the system, but I do think he's a talented quarterback, and I would tend to trust Jeff Levy to be able to make this be successful for MSU. Yeah, I think Shaven could be a great quarterback. Um, I mean, sure, it's not the, the home run guy you wanted, but he's a quarterback. That's what matters the most. I mean, look, you got to have guys in the room for, for competition because they're not going to be throwing Mike right out there. They're not. And your only other option at quarterback is Chris Parson. Now, is Parson ready to, to lead an offense? We don't know. Shapin has experience doing that, right? He 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 started for for two years essentially. I mean, he was hurt some this year, but there's quite good potential, I think. Um, I mean, I I, I like it. And I know you said online on Twitter too that you like it. I mean, we both we like the the move. Um I know a lot of jokers on Twitter will be like, oh, it's the end of the world. No, it's not. It's not. Don't worry, guys. We'll be fine. Um, maybe you could get another guy in the portal. I mean, it, look, 
what was crazy to me was was on uh, game day on Saturday, Pete Thamel said, if Nebraska doesn't get Kyle McCord, that Mississippi State might. And I was like, where did you hear that from? Well, then I saw a report that McCord will not be going to Nebraska. That's a former five-star quarterback that's available right now. So, I mean, and I, I think that's another name. People are like, oh, no, not him. I mean. Look. I don't know. Okay, I don't know if any state fans would say that for him. I think most state fans would be on board with court. And, like, the, the reporting has been the expectation of state is going to take two quarterbacks. Um, well, my pick is McCord. So. <laughs> the, the guy who would have been my pick has landed. I, I like Chandler Rogers from North Texas a lot, but he, he's been picked up at Cal. Um, you know, DJU still has not – that's the other guy that state has apparently been in heavy conversation with. It's not 100% that he ends up at Florida State. Um, but – I, I asked this question on Twitter, though. After Dylan Gabriel chose to go to Oregon, like, okay, that was the first wave of the meltdown. And then Shapin ends up at State, and you get the second wave of the meltdown. And I'm just like, who are these? Oh, well, actually, Shapin, we got Shapin before Gabriel goes to Oregon. If Shapin ends up at Oregon, or Shapin ends yes, up at Mississippi exactly. State, we get the first wave of meltdown. And then it's like, oh, and we're not getting Gabriel. Because that was the thing. People were like, Oh, Shapin's clearly coming in to be the backup. We're still going to get Gabriel. And that's not, you know, obviously not going to happen. And my, like, the, my thing was, who are these quarterbacks y'all 100% expected MSU was just supposed to land? Dylan Gabriel, I understand getting excited over the potential for him because of the connection to Lippin. And you, you would have liked to have gotten him on campus. But as I've talked about, and I think I talked about it on the last show, it is totally understandable him choosing to go to the Ducks. It, it's a it is a school where he can compete theoretically for a national championship next season. That's not happening at Mississippi State. He gets to be closer to home. I didn't talk about this. I mean, the guy's from Hawaii. Um, like he he would like to be closer to home to end his career. And he gets to go and play in an offense that's not Levens. And sometimes guys want to be able to show what they can do elsewhere. And this is one of those things where I like I would like to know what the reasoning is for Shapin not being a great fit in the system. I, I don't really know what, what that would be. But I think about this, like Dylan Gabriel is not a great fit in the shit system. He really isn't. Like watch Gabriel try to throw deep balls and how often he underthrows them. And like, that's just not like, he's not a perfect quarterback for what you want in this offense either. I'm not saying he, this is not me trying to spin it like, oh, he's really not that good because Mississippi State. No, like he would have been number one on the board, no question, because, like, A, he's probably one of the better – probably top – minimum top three, arguably top two of the quarterbacks available in this transfer cycle, with the other being Cam Ward at the top. And, obviously, he's played in this offense. So when you talk about a, a season where Mississippi State is having to make a transition offensively, having a guy who's done it would have been huge for the rest of the system. But it's also totally understandable that the guy would choose Oregon over Mississippi State. And that that's going to lead me into the, the point that I, I alluded to early on here. Look at some of the programs that are after quarterbacks this year. Obviously, Oregon. USC. All right. Ohio State, which is weird with Ohio State. We really have not heard much news with them. I think everybody assumed Cam Ward would end up there, and we haven't really gotten much. But still, like the Buckeyes are on the market for a quarterback. Um, we have, uh, you know, Miami, which I get they've been down, but it's still a bigger program than Mississippi State who can, like, ultimately 
offer a little bit more when it's all said and done. Florida State's going to be is in the market for a quarterback. You've got a lot of big time teams. Auburn after quarterbacks, and again, I know people want to dunk on Auburn. Still a better program and a higher destination than Mississippi State is. So, like, how is Mississippi State just supposed to beat them all out to get a quarterback? And it kind of feels like there's this expectation that some of our fans have, which is like we're like MSU is supposed to get a big name guy. Like it's time, like we have Jeff Levy, like they should want to come play here. And like we're an SEC school. And I keep people like saying, like, if we're not willing to go out and pay two million for a quarterback, we're not serious. Okay. First of all, I know that uh what's his name? Matt Rule made that comment about the you know, that being the going rate for a quarterback. That's like high-end, top-of-the-line QB at the very, very top level. Most guys are not commanding that. Second of all, Mississippi State, A, I think it would be dumb to commit all of your resources into one player like that. Uh, Not all of your resources, but that big a chunk of your resources into a player like that. But, like, also, it's not all NIL. Mississippi State's in a good spot NIL-wise right now. They have made good strides, good improvements there. And they have the, uh, enough NIL that they can make some moves and, and be competitive. You know, they're really not going to beat out the top teams, though, if it does become a money thing. But again, getting back to my point here, it's not really a money thing. Or not necessarily. Not every player is only looking at it through the lens of who's going to give me the biggest payday. Some guys are. But a lot of guys also want to go and play for a program that is going to give them a better chance of competing for a championship or has a bigger track record of getting them ready to go to the NFL. We talk about Dylan Gabriel. Like, I don't really think he's got great potential as a pro, but considering how things just turned around for Bo Nix, and Nix is probably going to be like a top-five quarterback taken in this upcoming draft, that's intriguing if you're a guy like Dylan Gabriel. So, I like, you talk about the, the high-end quarterbacks this year, and there's a few big names, but there's also not a ton of just superstars that are on the move. Like, it's going to be tough for MSU to whip those guys. And again, I, how well good of a fit is shaping in the offense, I actually don't know that. I think he's got traits that work, but I also recognize the people smarter than me have questions about it. And I'm intrigued to hear, like, the, the reasoning if, you know, once they break, break that down some. But I, I also tend to trust that Levy's probably going to be able to make this work. And I think if you address offensive line, which we're, we'll get to in a second here, you, you get some more skill talent in there. It's not going to matter as much who the quarterback is as long as you got a guy who can get him football. So I think it's a perfectly acceptable pickup for MSU, and I think it's a bit crazy that fans had the reaction they did. And Kyle McCord, we trust. That's all I'll leave it at. Well, also, go Blake Shapin. We're cheering for you. Hope you do great things here. Hail State. <laughs> so I said we talked about offensive line. This was a big one that you expected MSU to get. Center Ethan Miner from North Texas. Um, as soon as that guy entered the portal, everybody kind of connected the dots. John Cooper was his offensive line coach at UNT. He's obviously the tight ends coach here at Mississippi State. State losing Cole Smith needs a center. Really, they just need interior offensive linemen. They need offensive linemen as it is. Um, number two rated uh, center in the portal, I think, for PFF, or maybe that was in the country the past year for PFF. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, PFF, he was the second-rated center in in the country. Yeah, so, so, I mean, this is a guy who was a really good player, was going to be highly coveted coming out of the portal, played in an offense that has some similarities to what you're going to do in this system 
State badly needed offensive lineman. They got a really good player here in Ethan Miner. Love to see it. It was great, great news to see that uh, when we all saw the gifts, was it a Wednesday evening of folks throwing them around like, oh, we got somebody. And, and it was looking, it was pointing towards that it was probably going to be minor. And and sure enough, we get the uh, get the commit. I mean, the O-line was an issue. Uh, really, you're hoping to to fill out the tackles as well, because uh, I'm not sure who who's all back uh, regarding that. But yeah, having an interior offensive lineman, a guy you know can can do well at center, is huge because we saw how good Cole Smith really was on the last two seasons. So so having we we've always been found a way to get a good center here. Like I know LaQuinston Sharp was really solid when he was here, and then then Cole Smith now Ethan Miner is coming in. I mean we've been able to do well. We should we should rebrand as center U. We'll, we'll center and D line U. So I, I'm gonna get that process going guys um we're, we're gonna start the chance uh first football game next season so center so, you does elton jenkins not play center for the packers or did he at one point no Bakhtiari oh, he, he's he's, pl- he's played everywhere uh, jenkins that was his thing he was versatility he had played in his rookie season at least like five snaps at all five offensive line positions and i think his Final year at state, he wasn't the left. No, that was Greg Island. Was he the right tackle that season? We moved guys around a lot because it used, for so long, MSU's a way of building out offensive line. And I guess you, they still kind of do this to an extent outside of the very obvious guys. Find the best five guys and just put them on the field. Like state has rarely done uh, specializing at one spot, unless again, like, if, if you've got um, Charles Cross, like, yeah, he's left tackle. But other than that, they've moved, they've played guys at a ton of spots um, throughout their careers. I mean, Cole Smith moved around some. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of a thing State's done for a while. Um, you you talk about offensive line. You and I were – you mentioned this as we were talking in, in the pre-show because we're, we're not going to really get into portal targets. That's not a thing I'm interested in doing. It's it's so tough to keep up with who's visiting, who's being considered, but like this is a name that is familiar to state fans. Uh, kid who does look like the state's got a good chance of getting that again. It would be very familiar for state fans. Good old McKylan Pounders, uh, former former commit, uh, was uh, tricked by Lane Kiffin to flip, and then Kiffin pulled his scholarship. Or even had a chance to enroll. Spent last few seasons would be I think three seasons at Memphis. Looking like he's going to be a tackle. Originally, I think he was being recruited as more interior, but I mean, either way, offensive line help you need it. One of the higher rated offensive linemen in the portal right now. He's done pretty well at Memphis. That's going to be a huge get for us uh, if we can get him. I mean. Look, don't go on Twitter and be like, oh, you know, because someone had a graphic of like the schools that reached out and Ole Miss is on there. If you're like, oh, remember what happened last time? He knows what happened last time he tried to go to Ole Miss. So, uh, obviously, let the man make his own choice. But but it does seem like at the moment, uh, gaining traction with Mississippi State, that'd be a big pickup. Because uh, uh, he said, we just need to put – like like the routine of what state normally does, you just need to get 
five good guys to put out there. Um, they'll work about where they go, but you, you need to get guys out there to put because uh, yeah, offensive line could, was a concern. And hopefully now with the new coach, uh, coaching offensive line, that they do get better. And, and if you get a second transfer for the line in pounders, that'd be really big. And he's turned into a good tackle at Memphis. So, I mean, that's a guy that if you can, you know, get him in the boat here, um, that, that I think that, that'd be a good pickup for State. Uh, last portal commitment that State has picked up, defensive lineman Kendrick Bingley-Jones out of North Carolina. Interesting player, was a four-star top ten player in the state of North Carolina coming out of high school a few years back. Injuries have kind of derailed things. I think he, he had an injury, I think it was 2019 or so. No, it wouldn't be 2019. That, that's been a while. But um, had an injury early in his career that I think that he's had some lingering issues with. Hasn't really produced during his time um, at, at UNC. Look, I'm not going to pretend like like – do I think this is a guy who's going to come in and be a, a force along him issues defensive line? Probably not. I get the injury thing, but I also am always going to be – I will be weary, especially after, you know, a certain tight end that we just had on the roster. Um, just because a guy was a four-star coming out of high school who had an injury and didn't get a ton of playing time at, a, at another program, you know, doesn't mean he's going to step in and immediately be great for Mississippi State. Um, you know, I, I, there's part of me that's kind of like, for as much as North Carolina has struggled defensively, kind of feel like this is a guy who would have been on the field more. I, I'm not trying to, to drag him. At the very least, you need defensive line depth with as much as you were losing this year. So to get a guy who's been at the Power 5 level, who at the very least at one point in his career was a highly touted prospect, good pickup for State. Um, but obviously you hope to get some guys who have more production to this point to, to be able to step in. Um, only other notable portal news we've had, since we last spoke, uh, Cameron Richardson did enter the transfer portal. So basically, you're looking at a complete reset in the secondary, which, again, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the hires of Matt Barnes and Corey Bell. I think somebody suggested DCAM was, you know, pretty bothered by uh, losing Darcel McBath. He developed a close relationship. We'll just look, you get it, right? You you got a guy that you've been playing for for your, your whole career, and, you know, he, he moves on, you know, want, going to want to go elsewhere. But, look, it's – MSU defensively, kind of going to be just a completely different team next year. We, we knew that was always going to be the case, but especially now, new scheme, new coaches, and you're going transfer heavy. Um, it could be a rough go of things in the defensive side of the ball next season. You hope the offense, though, can make up for it, or you hope you can land enough guys in the portal that uh, you, you can you know, field a, a solid enough defense. Sticking with some recruiting news, things are picking up on the recruiting front at the high school ranks. Um, or I guess technically JUCO ranks as well. Um, State had a big recruiting weekend over the past weekend, and it went about as well as it possibly could have. Pick up commitments from wide receivers, San Francisco McGee and uh, uh, God, what's his first name? Carver. I I already Mario. I already forgot. Um, I'm on I, it. I had the commitments pulled up, and then I it was like, oh yeah, I'll remember his name. Um. But Carver, Carver's a four-star wide receiver. That's out of Alabama. Yeah, Mario Carver. Yeah, Mario Carver. Okay, San Francisco McGee, who's a high three-star out of Mississippi. I think a borderline four-star, depending on where you look at. Had been committed to Ole Miss. He was a guy that going back to last summer, heavy Mississippi State lean, ends up committing to Oxford, decommits, visits MSU, and you end up getting him in the boat. You get Carver as well, and then you get your quarterback. You lost Josh Flowers a couple weeks ago, uh, but it was heavily rumored that. 
Michael Van Buren, uh, quarterback out of Maryland, I believe, who was previously committed to Oregon. Um, he decommits from the Ducks. And you get him on a visit to Starkville. Sounds like this is the guy that Jeff Levy has been out all along, and he gets him in the boat. So, again, you got a talented quarterback prospect. You've picked up a couple more talented receivers to go along with J.J. Harrell. And then you look at where things are trending with some other guys. Stock of Burnside, obviously you had the commitment there. He decommits late in the season, and it's kind of like, well, nobody can blame him given the way MSU's been playing offense this year. This coaching staff, you keep Chad Bumpus around, which that's huge for you from that relationship standpoint. And then you bring in Jeff Levy and kind of show what you can do on offense. Get them on campus around these guys. And you know, it sounds like, again, the crystal ball is back in place to get Stonka to recommit to Mississippi State, which would be absolutely massive. Then you have the other guy that people are super excited about, Daniel Hill, athlete out of Meridian, um, can play running back or linebacker. Again, this is a guy that State was really not getting any attention from. The last few years sounded like he was 100% going to be going out of State. Get him on campus. Sounds like things have gone really, really well there. And, again, crystal ball in place for Mississippi State. Jaden Lewis is a four-star corner out of Alabama, was committed to Auburn, decommits from the Tigers, and crystal ball in for Mississippi State. So you talk about rebuilding that secondary. If you can get a four-star player in, uh, that'd be big. And then the other big name I've seen crystal ball at the JUCO ranks, tight end Gregory Jenross, 6'6", 230-pound guy. Tight end of position, you badly need players. Um, I, I know you've got the the kid who transferred from Colorado who will be eligible this next year. You already have another player committed, and now you got Jen Ross looking like he could commit. State's got a chance here to end up putting together a top 25 class, or at least fringe. I, I think they can get into the top 30. I, I did the the 247 sports class calculator. with This before Jen Ross, we heard about him, but Stonka, Hill, and Jaden Lewis – if you added them to state, and obviously this is not taking into account any other commitments nationally, which of course is going to change those classes as well, but it puts state right at the number 25 class. Considering where this team was in recruiting just a few weeks ago, if you can get up into the, your typical range, like I, I'm not going to say that this becomes a foundational class. Maybe it does on the offensive side of the ball with some of the pieces that you're looking at. But if it, it, instead of it being a, a complete like, okay, throw that year out, wash it away, and just having to completely load up on transfers, it can be a class you can at least work with. Absolutely. And and look, uh, it's always fun to see guys like, you know, J.J. Harrell, who, who's kind of, you know, he, he's doing his own little thing of, of trying to get guys in. I mean, he, he's been talking about it for the uh, – after practice at the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game. Um, you know, it, it's good to see that. And – what the visit the official visits this weekend right of the the six guys who had that photo together we already got four of them uh booked and, and like i said uh burnside and, and hill are crystal ball to, to state and look that's a big big deal right there uh because once again i mean regardless of whatever the portal is getting in just good freshmen talented freshmen is always going to be an important thing Sure, maybe a few of them leave. That's how that's how it works nowadays. You're going to get a couple of four-year guys uh, out of your your freshman recruiting class, and you have to hit with it. It's still a very very important thing. Can't miss. You can't mess that up. Um, you know what Van Buren, right? He was listed as a four-star originally. Then uh, he commits, and magically, uh, something happens on a Tuesday afternoon. 
and he's he's like a, a three star, just barely, almost not quite a four star. He was already a three star on two four seven, from what I understand, but was uh, a composite. Yeah. Well, but I I think know. he did get dropped a little bit by one of the services. I think on three, perhaps. Uh, so. Go figure. But yeah, I don't know what he did on a Tuesday afternoon to to do that, but hey, that's okay. Um, it's still a good class, right? And and to maintain some of the guys that you've maintained through this coaching change has been solid. You know, just going through on like the two four seven list, right? I mean, you're still keeping a guy like Jimothy Lewis, right? A big, uh, an IMG Academy offensive lineman, and and we didn't lose him in the uh, in the the firing of Zach Arnett. That's awesome, guys. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's looking like it's a good turnaround for this coaching staff. To, to take care of business and get the guys who want on campus. Uh, it, it's going to be a big thing. So, you know, look, if you get another portal guy or two, you might just be able to field a competitive team next year. And that's all That's all the people want. We just want a competitive team because, um, you know, that, that schedule came out and, and you know, our, people are already saying, well, you know, we might go five and seven. We might go eight and four. All the predictions, we're already getting them. So it's definitely it's the off season has begun, right? For sure. Look, the, I think it sounds like offensively you could bring in a good class here. Um, I know things do sound like we're not again we're not going to do full breakdown on recruiting because that's just not really my thing. But does seem as though things are trending well for like the obvious players, but apparently some offensive linemen as well. Offensive class looks like it could be shaping up really well. Now, the defensive side of the ball is where things have to improve, right? That's kind of where State has a weak class thus far. I mean, I think your best player – I mean, if you can get Jaden Lewis, that'd be a good guy. Now, frankly, Daniel Hill, I mean, I know Robbie Falk talked about this a few days back on Thunder and Lightning. Like, apparently, at linebacker, that kid could be something. I kind of feel like – I get if he wants to play running back, that's probably going to be a big part of the selling to get him to come to state. Like, I don't care. Let him play both ways. Because, like, I look at it, man, I think there would be so much more value if you could get a guy, like, that good and that athletic on the defensive side of the ball with what state is losing. Um, I, I think that'd be massive for you if you could make that happen. But um, just in general, like, Terrence Hibbler is, you know, one of your top guys. Outside of that, you – you got a lot of question marks defensively. Um, you know, you'd like to see – I don't – look, I don't know if State's going to flip any of those defensive linemen that Ole Miss has committed. That'd be – if you can get one of them, though, if you can find a way, that'd be incredible, but you've only got a week to do it. Um, but that's going to be the kind of the biggest thing. I think if State can close this out, though, get the guys committed that the, you have the crystal balls for and then get a couple more good defensive prospects, I think that's as good as you can ask for for this coaching staff at this point. And then you got a class that you can work with down the line as opposed to having to just go complete transfer portal, even though, look, State, I do think is going to be portal heavy this year. You talked about the football schedule. We do have that released. And here is the official rundown for MSU's uh, football schedule for the 2024 season and why FBS schedules are you not showing me week one? I don't know why it, it took away the week one opponent for Mississippi State. That's very well, I got weird. There, there it goes. State. No, I got on, it now. Oh, I was, I was going to just drop a uh, quick advertisement for HailState.com, and I've got it up, and, and they have the week one opponent. 
Okay. This was this was weird. The countdown yet? They normally have the countdown. They haven't done it yet. Sorry. No, this this is odd. So FBS schedules when you have it half screen, it didn't show me week one. When I go full screen, it shows it, and it doesn't Mm. show me like a like a scroll bar either. So that's weird. State will open up the season with their FCS game. They will take on Eastern Kentucky uh, Labor Day weekend. That is August 31st. This is one of those years where we have two bye weeks because of the way the schedule breaks down. Um, and then they will travel at out to Arizona State, so a, a game at Tempe, another trip out to the state of Arizona, uh, two and three years for the Bulldogs, this time against the Sun Devils. Obviously, Arizona State, a pretty rough season this year as they go through a massive transition, but – um, they did play competitive down the stretch, did have quite a few tight games that they played and they've, you know, started to get some talent in there so that they can be a very different team. Come back home and host Toledo. Uh, the Rockets have been very good in the Mac the past couple of years, but their star quarterback who led a lot of that Daquan Finn is in the portal. Then you get your first SEC game. Florida comes to Starkville. Gators make and break, make or break year next season. And their schedule, you talk about tough schedules. Like their last five games is the most ridiculous stretch of football anyone might play this coming season. Um, but a lot of questions about what they're going to look like. You know, they could be in for another rough season. Before we start getting into like the real meat of things, there is a chance, as you and I mentioned talking about this before the show, it, look, a trip out of the road to Arizona State's not going to be easy. You know, Toledo is a well-coached team for what it's worth, and maybe Florida just does have a breakthrough year. But those are four very winnable games. There's a chance for a 4-0 start for Mississippi State next season. Absolutely. And and honestly, you know, obviously Eastern Kentucky, just win that game, right? Just put up points. Put put up 70, right? Uh, show the world what Jeff Levy can do uh, with running offense, right, running a team. Put up 70 there. Arizona State and Toledo won't be don't be cakewalks, right? Uh, it, and even I have a similar feeling right now as I probably did traveling to Tucson two years ago. Well, I guess a year ago at this point, uh, where it's like, okay, we probably are better than them, but uh, you never know, right? That crazy. Well, now it's a Big Twelve game, but Pac twelve magic, right? You never know. Uh, so in Toledo, yeah, who knows, right? Well, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the Arizona game. Arizona State could be in a very similar position to that Arizona team because that was year two of Jed Fish. They had gone one and 11 the year before and just been a disaster, but had a lot of interesting pieces that came in and were kind of turning things around. And it was like, hey, you know, a, a pretty good SEC team coming out to face them, but it's a weird road trip. This is a better Arizona team. That could be a sneaky little game. Now, this Mississippi State team, obviously massive questions for what they're going to be, but this Sun Devil team, year one, massive struggle. Year two, can they start to build and take a step forward? And, you know, I don't think they're going to go to a bowl game, but maybe can you get to five, you know, five and seven, right? So it could be a similar spot for State. Now, and look, Toledo, I don't really know what they're going to be without Naquan Finn. He was such a big part of what they've done, but Jason Candle is also a very good coach. Um, but Florida, I mean, it was lost Trevi, Trevor Etienne, who was, you know, their, their top running back. Um, I think Montrell Johnson is done too. So like they're, that, that tandem that they had of running backs is, is done. Just a lot of turnover in general. 
quarterback position seems to be a massive question for them. Like, it, it, I'm not going to just say State's going to win, but you've got a great chance there. Now, definitely need to get off to a good start because then things ramp up. Go out to Texas to take on the Longhorns, uh, their first year as an SEC member. It'll be State's first time playing them since uh, the 1998 Cotton Bowl. Uh, I guess it was the 99 Cotton Bowl, technically, um, when Ricky Williams ran all over them. Uh, everyone – Y'all have to check dates. MSU Twitter, I guess, like, we're just freaking out over everything. People are like, man, they're giving us Texas and Georgia back-to-back weeks. There's a bye week between there. Like, I, I saw multiple tweets complaining about that. Yes, it is a tough two-game stretch, but you do have a bye week between Texas. And then you travel to Athens. I don't know why Mississippi State has to play at Athens constantly. I Okay, it's hard to complain about this, considering that the last time we played it wasn't Starkville. But, like, the three times before that, we're all in Athens. So that's why it's a little frustrating. Like, why couldn't we get back-to-back games against them in Starkville? Whatever. Uh, Texas A&M comes to Starkville the next week. The Aggies are going to be in, you know, transitional mode. You see I, – I said this before the year. If Texas A&M has a big 2023, look out because that team is going to be really dang good in 2024. If they have a, if they have a fine season, if they can get – you know, eight-plus wins, and things settle in, this is going to be the breakthrough year for Jimbo. But if he gets fired, all of that talent they have on the roster is going to go bye-bye. Well, sure enough, what has happened? He's been fired, and even with Mike Elko coming in, everybody's gone. So a and is going to be a very different-looking team next season. Um, and you get that game in Starkville. Arkansas comes in. We don't know much about what the Razorbacks going to be like. Is KJ Jefferson even going to be there? I don't think he's officially entered the portal, but they have a portal commitment quarterback, Taylor Green, coming in from Boise State, who's a pretty good player. So I kind of feel like that probably tells you KJ's on his way out. They already lost Rocket Sanders. He goes to South Carolina of all places. I mean, they badly need running backs, so you know maybe that's the play there. But again, the Razorbacks are a team. If you're state, you've had the upper hand for a long time. You get them in Starkville. You you have a thought, Dan. Yeah, the question is, it's October 26th that we'll play Arkansas. Will Sam Pittman still be employed at that point? I mean, it just feels like right now, the fact that they kept Sam Pittman is a mystery, I I think. It felt like he was on his way out. Will he be employed by late October next season? Or will they be on their interim coach? Interim coach Bobby Petrino leading the Razy Pass to Starkville. Going to drive down from Fayetteville on a motorcycle. You're going to have the Harley on his way down. I wouldn't feel good about that game for State. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. Hey, man, look, just go to the Pony the night before. We can probably take care of the problem. <laughs> we don't have to worry about Petrino <laughs> on the sidelines. All right, I'll uh, meet you there. Yeah. <laughs> State gets there. State bringing back something they used to do under Mullen because it's been a few years since they've done it. UMass. Uh, literally, they played UMass this on this week in the season under Dan Mullen in 2017. Uh, the UMass Minutemen come to Starkville November 2nd. Then it's a trip to Neyland Stadium to take on the Tennessee Volunteers. Interesting to see what the Vols will look like uh, next season after a bit of a step back this year. Then you get your second bye week. I think that I think it's great. You get it. You get that game. You go to Neyland, fine, take a bye, and then your last two games that could very well determine your season. You get Missouri at home, 
and then you travel to Oxford for the Egg Bowl, which we'll discuss the date of that in a second. Um, you close your year with the two breakthrough teams in the SEC this year. I have no idea what Missouri is going to look like. It sounds like Ole Miss could be in for a big year next year. You know, just early look at things with the players that they have coming back and some of the moves that they're making on the defensive side of the ball in the portal. Could be another really big season for the Rebels. Um, so that can be tough. But look, your non-conference games are all winnable. You get favorable home matchups when you talk about Florida, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and arguably Missouri. Again, I don't know what the Tigers are going to look like as your home games. There, there's a point that has been made many times, and people don't like this because you feel like it sounds like a loser mentality, but it's just if you're trying to maximize your winning potential, it is for the better that your toughest games are on the road. Because if it's a game you're probably going to lose regardless of where you're at, then let's get those on the road so that we can get our toss-up games at home. And State's probably not beating Texas. They definitely ain't beating Georgia. Probably not beating Tennessee. And we hate to say it, you never know what's going to happen. But right now, probably not winning the egg. Those are your four road games. Now, obviously, you have Arizona State on the road as well, but in terms of confidence. But Florida? State could win that game. They can beat Texas A&M. We've seen that time and time again. They can definitely beat Arkansas. And then we'll see what Missouri is. Your toughest games are also spread out. It Like, yeah, you have a Texas and Georgia back-to-back games, but it's not back-to-back weeks. You get a break between that. And then you get a run of games that are winnable before you have to face a team like Tennessee. So in terms of having games where you don't have a stretch of, like, playing Georgia, Tennessee, and, and, you know, Texas in consecutive weeks or anything like that. You have things – it's broken up pretty nicely. It is a very tough schedule. We all joked about it when it came out. It was like we're all excited to lose LSU and Alabama to get those losses off the schedule. And then it's like, okay, well, here's Texas, Georgia, Tennessee. Like, it, it's still tough. But in, for a tough schedule, this is probably about as good of a break as you could have gotten, in my opinion. I 100% agree. Um, it – it, it it feels better than it initially did when they announced the opponents back in what was it August or July or whenever whenever the heck they did it. It feels better now, now that you're looking at the whole schedule. Um and I think the two bye weeks makes you feel better as well. I mean, obviously I'm not sure who uh if Missouri plays anybody if they have a bye week the same week as us or or, or if Georgia does too. I mean, I guess who cares? Georgia's gonna win that. It, it it definitely makes it feel better, but that Missouri game that that one is the most intriguing to me because look, I mean, I mean, I don't know if Cody Schrader still has eligibility or because he's definitely coming back to Missouri if he has eligibility. That's a given. Or maybe he can go to the draft. I don't know. He's, he's a running back. I'm not sure, but yeah, that Missouri could still be really good next year. So it's. Concerning, but it's a it's a home game in November. You never know, but yeah, it, it Missouri is no longer at the present moment. They are not a, just a pushover team, not like they were uh, in some years in the SEC. I like it. it. It's a little bit of variety. You know, it's nice not to see another team from from Alabama or Louisiana on the schedule. So that. Nice little break, you know. It'll it'll make it easier somewhat, uh. Because obviously, as as Mike Leach had once said, we're just scared of that that a 
it scares us. So let's try the G. Let's try the T, the power T, see if that's any different. Let's try, you know, see if we're scared of a cow. So who knows? State it is a schedule they can reach, but we look. We have to see what the roster is going to ultimately be. We have no idea. It's too early to make predictions, but just solely off of what we know to this point, I do think it is a schedule where like you can get bowl eligible. It's going to be tough, but like there's a chance for a a, a solid first year for Jeff Levy here with this, despite it being a pretty difficult slate overall. Uh it has gone final. The women's team beats Jackson State, I think, by 10. Um, you know, you you would like a more dominant win, but Jackson State's a pretty good team, actually, you know, traditionally. And they also always seem to play State tough. Like, obviously, they get up for that game. So, yeah, whatever. State gets the win. They handle their business. Hopefully, they can handle their business against Memphis this weekend as well. Um, that'll do it for us. We will be back at some point next week. We haven't made a set schedule yet for how we're going to do the show going forward and obviously now it's the holiday season so we know we got to mess around with you know, people traveling at various times one final reminder join our bowl pick them go do your entries it is i will share the link on our twitter but it's the maroon mike group in capital one bowl mania the password is maroon mike all one word both m's capitalized and again confidence picks so be sure not just make the pick but then order them based on how confident you are in each game Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Dan for hopping on. As always, swing your sword and hail state.